me. All right. Good morning, Jay. Good to see you this morning. Hope that you are having a good weekend and glad that we are here together today. Mike, thanks for leading us in worship. Appreciate that. Uh, if you're visiting with us, thank you so much for being here. What a great opportunity it's been for us to worship God this morning. I know we have folks from uh, out of town, out of state who are here with us, and we are just thankful uh, that you are here this morning. Go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible with you, go ahead and grab one of those uh, black books on the back of the pew in front of you. That's our pew Bible. And uh, Hebrews chapter 5 starts on page one. 1003. Let's go ahead and turn to page 1003. Got a couple of things I want to get to before we uh, get into our uh, lesson this morning. Want to remind everyone about, again, thanks to, to Mike for leading us in our worship this morning. Thanks to Steve for organizing this weekend. Appreciate the, uh, the good time that it's been, the blessing that it's been to those who have been able to uh, participate. As has already been mentioned, we'll have a special time of singing tonight uh, in our, uh, our evening services. So I hope that you'll be a part of that. Uh, also tonight, we're going to honor someone who uh, has a lot of honor who is due to her. Uh, Rachel Liner has been uh, the director of our children's uh, program here at JA for a number of years, uh, and she has uh, stepped down at this point and moved on to full-time teaching in the school system, and we're uh, thankful for that for her, uh, but we're going to miss her so much, and we want to honor her tonight after our services. We will have uh, our special singing time, uh, and then also uh, after that, we'll have a time where we can uh, get together uh, and enjoy some fellowship and some food and, and honor Rachel. So please make sure that you're here for that. It'll be a blessing uh, to you. Uh, tomorrow night, men, we have our Wings and Wisdom at 6 o'clock, so if you can make sure that you're here for that. Uh, we already got some guys who told me they're going to bring some wings, and if you want to bring some wings, we'd certainly enjoy and appreciate that. We're going to be talking about uh, the book of Proverbs as we continue our study uh, through the book of Proverbs. So be there tomorrow night at 6 o'clock. Uh, this is our uh, continuing series on the idea of, of increasing, and today we're talking about increasing in our maturity. And I don't, I don't know about you, that, that sounds like something as Christians we're supposed to do. We know that we're supposed to do it. The scriptures tell us that we're supposed to do that, and we'll look at some of those in a little bit. But when you hear that idea, what does it mean to be mature? What is maturity? Sometimes that's kind of a, a hard thing to, to nail down. What is maturity? So I asked a few different people, we got a few different answers from, from different folks, uh, about different things. Uh, let me back up just one more thing that I want to make sure everybody's aware of and we can celebrate together. Uh, Lily Ferris was baptized uh, last week and we want to stop right here and praise God for that. Praise God that our sister uh, Lily has been baptized. Uh, her dad told me this morning that uh, she's not even in here right now because she's got such a servant's heart uh, that she is with the babies in the nursery. So uh, when you see her later today, make sure that you thank her or congratulate her uh, and that you pray for her as, uh, as we walk along uh, this road together towards heaven. So uh, maturity, what does it mean to be uh, mature? So I got about three different answers from, from a few folks that I, uh, I asked and uh, Elin told me that she thought that uh, maturity or she told her mom and her mom passed it along to me, maturity is not acting like a child, right? And that's probably what we often think about, not, not acting like a child, not being childish. Now here's what a couple other people said. Sophie Brown said, uh, maturity is knowing how to take care of situations. It's fully developed, responsible, and emotionally balanced in life. Wow, that's pretty good, Sophie. Good job. Uh, she's a high school student. If you don't know Sophie, she did a pretty good job. Uh, and then Porter Davidson said this, uh, maturity is not just an age. It's how someone presents themselves. It's having a sense of respect for all of your actions and holding yourself responsible. Again, another great uh, 
example and definition of maturity from, uh, from a young man. What do you think about when you think about maturity? What is Christian maturity? Again, the, the Bible is clear that there, there is an expectation that if you are a Christian, not only will you be saved from your sin when you become a Christian, but that you will grow in your relationship with God, that you will mature in your relationship with God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 14, it talks about doing away with childish things. When I was a child, I thought like a child, I talked like a child, but when I became a man, I did away with childish things. That's maybe true in life in general, but certainly for the Christian, that's a true statement that we grow and we become more of who we need to be. We grow in our faith. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 20, it says that we need to be mature, not childish, in our thinking. Okay, well, we need to, there's a difference between, and we can recognize this a little bit again just in life, but even in our spiritual life, when we're, we're, we're babes in Christ, we're new to Christianity, we're new to this Christian walk, there's this growth potential that is absolutely there. And maybe more importantly, this expectation of growth that God has for us. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 15 says simply that we are to grow up. We're to grow up. You're not supposed to be childish in your faith anymore. You're supposed to grow up. And James chapter 1 verses 2 through 4 talks about growth through difficulty. Maybe John the Baptist said it best when he summarized it this way. As he was going out and his, his ministry was coming to an end and Jesus' ministry was, was beginning to flourish. He said in John chapter 3 and verse 30, He, Jesus, must increase, but I must decrease. I would say that should be a call a mantra, something that we keep in mind constantly. In my life, Jesus must increase and I must decrease. So we know that we ought to grow. We know that we ought to have this, this growth in our life as Christians, but what does that look like? Uh, and again, in Hebrews chapter 5, we're going to look at uh, Hebrews chapter 5, the last part of the chapter, uh, into chapter 6, and, and notice a few things and really just walk through this passage together. So if you will, again, turn to Hebrews chapter 5. Uh, starting in verse 7. It talks about what ought to be. And I would say this is what ought to be for at least most of us today, if not all of us here this morning. Hebrews chapter 5, starting verse 7. He starts with he, talking about Jesus here. He in the days of his flesh offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears to the one able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, even though Jesus was the son of God, it says he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. He learned obedience. Now that, that word learned is a pretty easy word, but, but I looked it back up. I looked it up in, in the original language and it simply means to increase in knowledge. Now that makes sense. Learn to increase in knowledge, but he increased his knowledge of obedience. I, I want to share with you what I think that means that will hopefully mean something to you. Jesus, through the things which he suffered, he learned obedience. He increased his knowledge of obedience. What does that mean? Go back to chapter 4. And let's read verses 14 through 16. Chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. It says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us take hold of our confession. For we don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, because we have this kind of high priest, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Go back again to verse 15. We don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness. Now, your version may say sympathize. I looked at a few different versions. Most versions say sympathize. There are a few versions that say empathize. And let me suggest to you 
that from the original language, the word empathize and the context here would be a better translation. What's the difference between sympathy and empathy? Sympathy is I recognize you're going through a difficult time. I can, I feel bad for you. I feel bad that you're having to go through that. Empathy is you're going through a bad thing and I know how that feels. I've been there. Jesus is not only able to sympathize with our weakness, in some ways he's able to empathize with our weakness because he left heaven. He came to this earth. And let me, let me wrap this up and, 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 and I hope that this will encourage you. Jesus, maybe more importantly, God knows what it's like to be human. Now, no, most of the time we wouldn't think that, right? If Jesus had stayed in heaven, he really wouldn't know what it's like to be human, right? If Jesus had never come down to earth and, and put on flesh, he wouldn't be able to empathize with this because he had never been physically tired. He'd never have someone whom he loved and had a, a close relationship with here on earth die. He didn't exp- had, would not have experienced all those things. But because he did, because he left heaven above and came to this earth, he's not only able to sympathize with us, to, to feel bad for us, But he's able to empathize with us. He knows what it's like to experience the things that you have experienced. God knows what it's like to be human. He learned this obedience. He learned how difficult that it is to obey. Now, yes, Jesus was perfect. He never sinned. He never experienced that. But he learned obedience. He learned, he grew in his knowledge of obedience. What does that mean? Jesus was truly and honestly tempted by some things, maybe in ways in which we've never been tempted, and maybe to to greater degrees than we've ever been tempted. But when, when you have been tempted and you know how hard it is to follow God, So does Jesus. Now, he always did it, and he did it perfectly, but God knows, Jesus knows how difficult that it is to follow God. And that's why we can say in verse 15, because we have that kind of high priest who really understands what it's like to be a human, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace because he knows how we feel. And there we can get this grace and mercy that we need. Go back to chapter 5 and verse number 9. He having been made perfect or complete, or as we're talking about this morning, he having been made mature, he became to all those who obey him a source of eternal life. Again, Acts chapter 4 and verse 12 says, there's no other name given among men uh, under heaven by which we must be saved. Jesus is the one who's going to save us. Uh, and it says in verse 10, being uh, designated by God as a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Concerning him, concerning Melchizedek, we have much to say, the writer says, and it's hard to explain since you, followers of God, Christians, have become dull of hearing. For by this time you ought to be teachers. Okay, what are we talking about this morning? Uh, growing or increasing in our maturity. And right now we're talking about what ought to be. Well, what did the writer just say? By this time you ought to be teachers. Now, maybe you, in, in trying to rationalize where you're at in your faith, you would say, well... You know, the writer here is talking to, to Hebrews. He's talking to people who have known about God and been followers of God for about 2,000 years. Uh, from the time of Abraham to the time of Jesus is about 2,000 years. And you say, yeah, well, of course, those people, they've known about God for a long time. They've had the Old Testament for a long time. Those people ought to be teachers. But then we need to stop and think, how long has it been since Jesus walked the earth? About 2,000 years. Christians, by this time... We ought to be 
teachers. What, what ought to be in our, in our Christian maturity, we ought to be teachers. But what does he go on to say? But instead, you have need, again, for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness. He is an infant. Let me break that down for you in verse 13. Everyone who partakes only of milk is milk is missing righteousness. You're missing the, the things where, where it really gets into your life, into your daily life. If we only talk about the most basic things, if you only study about the most basic things, and it's going to define that in chapter 6 here in a few minutes. If we only focus on and think about and, and study about the most basic things, we're missing righteousness. The things that's actually going to help us in our life. It says in verse 14, solid food is for the mature who because of their of practice have trained their senses to discern both good and evil. Again, what are some, some, uh, some markers of maturity? First of all, we ought to be teachers. Okay, we'll talk more about that in a few minutes. We ought to be teachers uh, who are taking that solid food in, that, that word of righteousness that, that affects not only our, our knowledge and understanding of what God did for us, but now affects what I do for God, okay? How does God want me to act with my wife? How does God want me to act with my children? How does God want me to act with, in, in my daily life, this, this word of righteousness helps me to understand and to live? And how, how does that happen? How does one become mature? I think verse 14 a- answers that for us. Who because of practice... Have their senses trained or they have trained their senses to discern both good and evil. In short, the mature put into practice the things they believe. Now, we all know that. And that makes sense to us. And that's really pretty basic, right? That we should put into practice the things that we know. But sometimes I think we fail to do that. We fail to live up to that. Uh, so, so we need to be passionate we need to be passionate about this, this God, this, this Jesus, this Lord, this Savior who understands us and loves us enough in spite of ourselves. Again, let, let me emphasize this. God knows what it's like to be a person and he loves us anyway. God knows what it's like to be like you and he loves you anyway. I don't know, maybe that doesn't mean much to you, but that means a lot to me because I can recognize my faults, my shortcomings, my failures. And if, it was, if I was a perfect and holy God, I might have a hard time loving me. But Jesus came to this earth, lived this perfect life, and not only lived this perfect life, and, and I would think in living a perfect life, that would maybe make it even more difficult for me to want to die for all these imperfect people. But because of his love, he died for us anyway. He knows about us. And we can be passionate about him, but we can be informed. We can learn and grow and, and, and grow in these, these words of righteousness. And we need to be sharing. We need to be practicing. We need to be growing. Okay, well, do we, do, are there any other tips about, okay, well, how do, how do we get there? How do we grow in our maturity? Look at chapter 6, uh, verses 1 through 3. Um, talks about this word of righteousness, putting into practice, discerning good and evil. Therefore, leaving the elementary teachings about the Christ, let us press on to maturity. Now, anytime uh, that, that when I've dealt with Christians, and, and we've been Christians for a long time, many, many of us have, uh, when we, we think about this idea of leaving the teachings of Christ, there's a red flag. Wait a second. What, what, what teachings are we leaving? Uh, well, there are going to be some things here in these next couple of verses that we need to understand. What does it mean to leave them? Okay, so let's let's listen to what it says. Therefore, leaving the elementary teachings about the Christ, let us press on to maturity. Okay, there is something more than these elementary principles, not laying again 
a foundation of repentance from dead works and faith toward God and teachings about washings or baptism and laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. Now, those are some pretty basic, important things. Faith, repentance, baptism, eternal judgment. Those are things that we talk about a lot. But he says, hey, we've got we've to leave those things behind and press on toward maturity. There's something more to understand. There's more growth to happen. Let me try and explain what I, what I think it might mean here. How do you know that six times three is 18? How do you know that? Because you understand that six plus six plus six is 18, Right? When I learn how to, how to multiply, when I learn my multiplication tables, I don't for, completely leave behind addition, right? But I'm building off of addition in order to understand multiplication. So when we leave these elementary teachings about the Christ of faith, repentance, baptism, and, and these types of things, it doesn't mean that we're just completely forgetting them, and certainly we're not forsaking them, but we're building upon those things to greater heights. And who wants us to do that? Well, God's word says he wants us to do that. We're, we're not leaving behind and, and forsaking these things. We still need to understand these things and talk about these things from time to time. But if you've been a Christian for a while, if you've been a Christian for five years, if you've been a Christian for a year, if you've been a Christian for six months, if you understand the teachings of the Bible about faith in Christ and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment and, and all of those things that were just mentioned there, there's something more and we need to continue to grow and to disciple and to be more of who God wants us to be. Look at Hebrews chapter 6 verses four through six and let me show you what it says here about the danger of not maturing the danger of not maturing in verse number four it says for in the case of those who have once been enlightened and having tasted the heavenly gift and having become partakers of the holy spirit and having tasted of the good word of god and the power of the ages to come and having fallen away here's the danger it is impossible to renew them again to repentance since they have again crucified to themselves the son of god and put him to an open shame I would dare say that this is saying that a, that a lack of maturity for the Christian, a lack of the word of righteousness, a lack of putting that into practice to be able to discern good and evil in your everyday life and in every circumstance, these things lead to falling away. If you're not growing, Christian, you're dying. You're either getting closer to God or further away from God. There is no stagnant Christian. You may say that, you may say, well, I don't feel like I've grown much recently. Well, if you don't feel like you've grown much recently, the reality is you've probably shrunk in your faith. You've probably become weaker in your faith. We need to continue to, to grow and to mature. We need to put the basics into practice and build off of the things that we know. Now, the writer of Hebrews here, he, he's writing to a, an entire group of people, uh, the, the Hebrews. Uh, and we don't know if it's to a specific uh, congregation that he's found or maybe the church there in Jerusalem where most of them would have been Hebrews. But, but he's writing to these people who have this, this long lineage and, and history with God. And he's saying, you need to grow. You need to become more. You need to leave these elementary things about Jesus and grow on to better things. And, and he would say similar things to us today, I believe. But then in verses 9 through 12, he says, but I believe that there are better things coming for you. Let's read verses uh, 9 through 12. 
It says there, but we are convinced about you, beloved, of things that are better and that belong to salvation, though we are speaking to you in this way. For God is not unrighteous so as to forget the work and, and the love which you have shown towards his name and having ministered and continuing to minister to the saints. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end so that you won't become dull, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises." Uh, a couple of things here. Uh, he says, I- I'm convinced of things that are better for you. I- I'm convinced that, that you won't fall away. I'm convinced that, that you won't lose your salvation. I'm convinced of things that are better for you. God wants things that are better for us. Jesus came that we might have life and have it abundantly. God offers us things that are greater than the world has to offer. And he says, I'm convinced of things better for you. What ought to be? Christians, Jefferson Avenue. You ought to be a teacher. Now, you may not know everything. Hey, nobody does. You may not know, you may not understand, you may have big questions, you may have concerns in your faith, but what do you know, what do you believe, what do you understand about God? You ought to be teaching people those things. If it's the most basic things, then teach the most basic things. Christians, Members here at JA, we ought to be putting these things into practice. And as we practice these things, we'll be able to to tell in in various circumstances what's the difference between good and evil here. And that will help us to mature. And as we mature, we'll be able to take even bigger, more difficult things within Scripture and study those things and put them into practice. Let, Let me suggest that it's not studying hard things that makes us mature. It's putting what we know into practice that makes us mature. And then as we mature, we're able to study difficult things. You won't be able to to understand everything and then live perfectly or live righteously or live how God wants you to live. No, take what you know and live that out in your life. And as you do that, you will grow. And as you grow, then you'll be able to study those more difficult things. It's not a knowledge and understanding of, uh, of uh, perfectly who God is that helps us to become mature. It's taking the simple things that we absolutely are 100, 100% confident in, putting those things into practice. And as we put those things into practice, we'll learn good and evil. We'll have more questions and we'll have struggles, but that will help us to grow and to mature and to study those things that are even more difficult. That's why he says in verse 11 that you show the same diligence. You put it into practice and you continue to put it into practice. And when it's difficult, you continue to put it into practice. It's diligent. It's not haphazardly. Diligent prevents us from becoming dull and leads us to those promises. This morning, Christians, brothers and sisters, have you found yourself in your Christian life coasting or putting yourself on autopilot? Uh, Think back to about three weeks ago, I think. You remember the ping pong balls? Remember when we talked about the ping pong balls? We had that container and, and the ping pong balls that it represented all the time that we have. And we talked about all the different ways that, that we fill our time. We've got to go to work and we've got to eat and we've got to sleep and we've got to do these things. How often, how many, how many hours a week, how much time in your day do you spend time devoted to prayer? How often do you take the time to bow your head, bow your heart, more importantly, before the creator of the universe and ask him for help and tell him your wants and your needs and the things that you desperately want to achieve for him? How often do we, how much time do we invest in praying to God? 
How much time do we invest in, in, in studying God's word and ingesting him? We, we tell God what we want in prayer and he tells us what he wants through the scriptures. And remember, remember the whole point of the, the container full of ping pong balls is if I want to invest into somebody else, if I want to put into somebody else or if somebody bumps into me, the only thing that's going to come out of my life is what I put into it. What am I putting into my life that I can put into other people? If it's not in there, it won't come out of there. You remember last week? I already talked about it this morning. Don referenced it, how we talked about the importance of evangelism. We've got this mission. We're, we're, we're on a mission. Our mission is to, to convert, to evangelize, to disciple, to baptize 450 people uh, by 2030. And that's not going to happen by accident. Okay, we, we talked about it, and, and I would say that, that you know, that we, we redoubled our effort, and, and, and most of us here, maybe all of us here, I hope everyone here was, was encouraged to say, okay, all I've got to do is one person. How much time did you put into thinking about that? How much time did you put into praying about that? Did you take an opportunity that God presented to you this week to plant a seed, to water some seed, so that God could give the increase? Listen, it, it won't happen by accident. If we're just coasting through life and not being purposeful and not, not doing something on purpose, it won't happen. We can't coast through life. We can't be on autopilot. We, we know we've got a big job. We know we've got a great responsibility. More importantly, we know we've got a God who's worthy of our life. What are we giving him in our daily life? Let me suggest two practical things for you to consider this morning. These relate to me. They may or may not relate to you. Okay, when you think about coasting, when you think about mindlessly living your life, not not doing things purposefully, and you can relate this to to business, to family, but but I want you to think about your spiritual life right now. Uh, if you're just coasting or on autopilot or just mindlessly living your life, what does what does that look like? When I'm doing this, it, it comes in uh, two specific ways. I find myself wasting time with two specific things. Most of you can probably relate to this mindlessly scrolling through social media. Anybody else? All right, don't, don't lie and not raise your hand. Uh, most of us can probably relate to that. How about this? While you're mindlessly scrolling through social media, the TV's also on. Anybody else do that? Uh, maybe not all of you. If you're doing better than I am at that, thank you. I'm happy for you and pray for me. All right, so what do I need to do? What, what are some things that I can do to, to stop that, that mindlessly living and instead purposely live? What I have done in the past and what I need to do again, and, and uh, Lena, hold me accountable to this. I need to do this today uh, to put a time limit on my social media accounts. How much time am I going to allow myself on the phone to mindlessly scroll through it? And then I heard this idea about TV. Again, this isn't true for every family, and I'm not saying a great thing about our family, but we often have the TV on even when we're not watching it. Uh, it's kind of background noise sometimes, okay? Uh, a, a great practical idea I heard about this and this would be again helping us to not just mindlessly wander through life but to purposefully go in a direction in our life don't turn the tv on unless you know specifically what you're going to watch you know you've got your specific show that you want to watch and you know how long it lasts and, and that sort of thing uh, again we sometimes just turn it on and try to find something rather than knowing that we want to watch something purposefully and we'll watch that and when that's over we turn it off Okay, so those are two practical things. Now, now that, that's social media, that's television. What does that have to do with my Christian life? Well, how much, how much more time would I have to devote to prayer? To actually purposefully reading my Bible? If I didn't just mindlessly scroll through social media or mindlessly have the TV on. Listen, let, let me, let me tell you something. 
I, I would, and this is a change I've got to make, I would much rather my children see me purposely sitting at the kitchen table reading my Bible than mindlessly sitting on the couch watching TV. How about you? Sure you would, right? And maybe that's not your struggle. What is the mindless thing that you do that keeps you from being purposeful in your life? Scripture tells us, the writer of Hebrews tells us that we, as Christians, if if you know about God, if you have become a Christian, then, then you ought to be a teacher, and that, notice, notice he said, you ought to be teachers, and then he talked about all the growth. He didn't say, grow, 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 so you can teach. He said, teach, and while you're doing that, you will grow. We ought to be teachers, brothers and sisters. There are people in the world, there are people in your life who need you to be a teacher. Teach what you know and to continue to grow. And if, hey, if they ask you questions you don't know the answer to, be honest with them and say, I don't know. Let's study that together. Let's grow together. We, we, we increase our maturity through teaching. We increase our, our maturity through putting these things that we do know into practice and learning about what that actually looks like. And then those help us to study those more difficult things and continue to put those things into practice and to continue to grow. And I don't care if you've been a Christian for 10 days, for less than a week like Lily has, or if you've been a Christian for 60 years, there's still room for growth. Because it's not about how long you've wore the name of Christian. It's about how well you've wore the name of Christian. This morning, where are you at in your relationship with God? Uh, Where are you at in your maturity? What need do you have for growth? I know we all have some need for growth. I encourage you to find some way to put into practice the things that you believe this week. Uh, This morning, if you're struggling, if you have uh, been on autopilot, or maybe you haven't even been on autopilot or cruise control, maybe maybe you have been mindlessly wandering, or or maybe even worse than that, you've began to turn away from God, uh, we want you to know that we all struggle with that sometimes. And again, I want to remind you that you have a Lord and a Savior in Jesus Christ, a, a high priest who stands before the throne of God, who understands what it's like to be a human. He knows how difficult that it is. So if you're interested in becoming uh, closer to God and being forgiven of your sins and you want to let us know about the things that you're going through, the bell is ringing. Uh, So you better be ready. If you need help this morning, we want to help you. If you need something uh, that we can help you with, something practical that you're struggling with and going through, uh, we want to be there for you, okay? Uh, Because one day it won't be a bell that's ringing. It'll be a trumpet that's sounding. And Jesus will come back for those who are ready for him. This morning, are you ready? Brothers and sisters, are you ready? If you're not a Christian this morning, do you believe that Jesus Christ is a resurrected son of God? Will you confess him as the Lord of your life, submit to baptism where all of your sins are washed away, and you can become completely pure and clean and a follower of Jesus? If you have any needs this morning, we invite you to come as we stand and sing. I come bowing down before your holy throne.